Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for joining us on The Wonderful World of Wine. We are Mark and Kim. How are you today, Kim? I am really good, and I'm really excited for these articles that we're going to be talking about today because wow. they are all in my, like, geeky zone. Yeah, so <laughs> right away, you, you gave away now that people know it's probably coming up. Oh, uh, so. maybe a little bit. We don't have to yeah. spend that much time on that one. All right. well, <laughs> everybody first, knows I love my bubbles. First, there was an article in Forbes, Kim, a little geeky, but I think it's something people should know about in, in the wine world. And it was all about yeast and, and does it matter where it comes from? And basically in wine production, you have the grapes, which is the sugar sauce and you add yeast and then it becomes alcohol or wine, right? So many people probably don't know this, Kim, but there are two different versions of yeast that winemakers can use. And that's mm -hmm. natural, which is present by nature on the grapes, or a cultured yeast. Right. So how would you like to uh, scare our listeners, Kim, about yeast? I am not going to scare our listeners. I'm going to okay. make them very excited about this because I feel like a great way to conceptualize this idea is not to be scared about these two different types of yeast, but to think of them in terms of baking bread. Now, the I big... knew you were going to bring it to food. So. Of course, I'm good. It's yeast. I'm going to go to bread. Good. One of the major activities that a lot of people took up during the pandemic was baking and specifically sourdough bread baking. And I like to equate what you get from sourdough bread versus what you get from adding a packet of dried instant yeast to your dough. And how do those breads turn out differently or how do you make them in a different way? So sourdough where you have a starter that sits on your counter and you have to feed it regularly or else it gets gross <laughs> or the, dies so on you. The starter is the natural. So the starter is the natural. So okay. it is collecting yeast and good bacteria from the air, from your hands, from the atmosphere. It eats the flour. It bubbles away. It's very happy. That is your natural starter versus you know, the little packets that you keep in the refrigerator or the one pound packages like people Fleischmann's. keep Fleischmann's in there. Like the, yes, Fleischmann's yeast. So it's like an ounce. It's dried and you just pop it in your recipe and then you have a few hours later a nice, beautiful loaf of bread. That is really the difference between when we talk about inoculated yeasts for wines, meaning something that winemakers literally place an order for, and it comes from a yeast manufacturer. It's the same as like Fleischmann's, just for wine instead of for bread versus taking advantage of the ambient yeasts that are either on the grapes or in the cellar or on your winemaking equipment. So you can think of those naturally occurring yeasts that are in that atmosphere as your sourdough starter in your winery. I think like, that this is important for people to understand because often Mark and I will touch on the idea of marketing or advertising wines 
in a way to try to confuse or scare the consumer. And we've talked about this with clean, quote unquote, wines, zero sugar wines. And one that I've been seeing lately is that real wine should only be naturally occurring yeast and grape juice. And that's it. So yes, there is one group of winemakers, wine marketers who are, that is their production mindset. That's their shtick. That's how they feel about making their wines and trying to market their wines. But that's not the only way to make wine. And it's like saying sourdough bread is the only legitimate bread. And if you bake a loaf of challah using store-bought yeast, that you're not really baking bread. It's That's ridiculous. The natural yeast, they say there's probably about 30 different types out there. Mm-hmm. And the difference for a winemaker would be if you're using the natural yeast, you're not sure it may or may not start to ferment or may not complete fermentation. Whereas a cultured yeast is more reliable and consistent. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's usually related to a specific location that it's come from. So if a winemaker wants something special to happen to his wine, he uses the same yeast all the time, then he has a pretty standard quality wine right. at the time. With the natural yeast, you don't even know if it's going to ferment into wine. So it's right. a risky thing. And it's also not only is it the risk factor of, is this actually going to happen? Like, is how many did you say? Like 30? They say 30 different natural yeah. yeasts. And it's not just those natural yeasts. You know, there's other bacteria out there. Some funky stuff can get in there. It does make a more complex product. So I will give them that. And it's it's almost more like an ingredient in a recipe. So different strains of yeast that a, a winemaker can choose to use will impart its own unique characteristic to the wine. So for folks who are using the natural ambient yeasts that are in their wineries, they probably have a little bit more um, consistency from year to year because it's the same stuff. It's the same environment. It's happening year in and year out and does give that little bit of consistency. But I think you get even more so when you're using dedicated cultured product. Right. You would probably be correct to say most mass produced wines is using a cultured yeast to get a consistent product every year. I think even some wineries that are trying to make you know, handcrafted, special. There's nothing wrong with using a cultured yeast. It just is a different method of production. And it's, you know, for people who know about making beer, it's even more typical to use a cultured yeast in your beer brewing than it is in your winemaking. Yes. So you get a consistent batch. Consistency. Yeah. If you're making, you know, if you're one of these big companies that's making 2 million cases of a particular wine, you're not going to leave your fermentation up to chance. You're going to, you know, follow your formula and you're going to use um, a purchased cultured yeast. And we talked in a prior show about ingredients on a label. Do you think this is something that should be considered an ingredient put on the, the label? I do, but um, but spelling, maybe not because if you buy pretty long, right? <laughs> oh, like the different the different yeah. types. I don't know. I don't think that like if you buy a loaf of bread in the store. Does it say yeast on there? If it does, I think it does, but it's not going to tell you the particular scientific name of that yeast. It's just going to say yeast. Yeast, So you know, I think a wine. I think wine. If a winery 
has to put an ingredient label on their product. If just yeast, people know what yeast is. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that people and are going to you know, be scared by yeast. I'm pretty geeky on the, the wine labels and the wine text sheets that we talk about all the time. And very rarely do I even look on a text sheet for the yeast. Yeah, no, I don't you know, either. I, I think I should be looking at that a little bit more to see like if a product I feel I try one vintage and I try the next, I feel it changed. A lot of mm-hmm. times I'll look at the percentage of the grapes maybe change yeah. or where they source yeah, the yeah. grapes, but I've never looked to see if they change the yeast. Yeah. And, and I don't now, know that. I, should. I mean, do tech sheet. I don't even know if tech sheets actually tell you what uh, the real geeky ones. I've seen it a few times saying, yeah. you know, natural, especially in the natural wines, which you were talking earlier, they'll yeah. say, oh yeah, it's all natural yeast. Well, yeah. Like, then, because it's a selling point, right? So it's not like a vegan. winery is listing what type of yeast they're using, but if it's wild yeast and naturally occurring, they're absolutely going to put it on oh, there yeah. because for yeah. them, that's a selling point. And then sometimes I've seen things about, you know, the vegans and, and you want to know stuff about if, if water is this and that or mm-hmm. organic water, organic yeast, you know, that type of thing. So I don't know. Do you think it, there's a, a, any health benefits or concerns over cultured versus natural? No, definitely not concerns, but there could legitimately be health benefits for using natural yeasts because I know from my studies of sourdough that there are health benefits of sourdough bread versus commercially produced breads using cultured yeast, but that has more to do with how those yeasts metabolize the starches and, um, and the flour itself and how it makes uh, vitamins and minerals more uh, digestible to humans. So I don't necessarily know how that would translate into something like wine, but it definitely does for bread. And it changes yeah. the proteins too. The sourdough comparison was very good. <laughs> Thank you. Usually your food points, I get a little nervous, like, oh, where's she going <laughs> Like, oh, that? no, what is she going to talk about? <laughs> that one made total, total sense. That was, I think that that was like a perfect spot on comparison. And I think it's funny as, as a additive or ingredient, say, for winemakers, there's all these different things they can go to for products they can put yeah. in. And, and there's a whole catalog of yeast that they yeah. can buy oh, yeah. that add certain things. Have you, have you ever been to a homebrew store? Oh yeah, you can. And like, there's the entire refrigerator is yeah. full of different kinds of yeast, depending on what kind of beer you want to make. And there's, and there's wine powder, yeast, liquids, and, there's and cider powders. yeast, and mead yeast. Yeah. And, oh my goodness, there's so much. Like for bread, you're like, yep, yeah, Fleischmann's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're right. It's it's definitely a, a, a you know technique that they must know what's best for their product. So yeah. And that consistency aspect. I mean, I think that that, I think really at the heart of it, it's it, you get a consistent product that it's consistent flavor and you know, it's going to work and why leave that up to chance. I think if you're making a particular um, quantity, I guess, but for some people, there's the art to it. And, you know, I would say that I can feel that difference when I bake that there's a different art to sourdough making than there is to cultured yeast baking and it turns out a completely different product. So yeah, there are differences, but can I say that one is necessarily better than the other? No, they're just, they're different. And whether it's wine or whether it's bread or whether it's beer, you know, I think that the differences are enough that we can embrace both. So we hope uh, when the listeners pick up their next glass of wine, they're not, you know, freaked out about natural or cultured (laughs) yeast. Just know that it's a big pot of the wine.
You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. If you'd like more information about Mark, you can visit his website, franklinliquors.com. And for more information about myself, you can find me at vinitaswineworks.com. We just had a wonderful conversation about yeast and now something that also impacted by yeast. And that is my favorite topic, sparkling wine. And we have a little article here about the do's and don'ts of drinking sparkling wine. And I have to say, Mark, sometimes I get really, really annoyed (laughs) with articles like this. Like, okay, you know, there's a limit to the how much we should be telling people you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. I just would like people to enjoy their glass of bubbles. Well, yeah, but but there's some bubbly etiquette. You you know, you want to do things the right way. You got to open it the right way. You got to serve it the right way. So, I mean, (laughs) I get where you come from, but it's, uh, I thought these were good tips and we'll go through them and see what you think is meaningful or what you think shouldn't have to be mentioned all the time. I'll look that. And I just want to mention the the name of the site that we uh, found this from. It's called (laughs) onthesauceagain.com. which is quite a, a creative name. For, we get news um, from everywhere, don't we? They it's do. Everywhere. Yes, absolutely. So the first one is that you should be serving champagne in a wine glass. Now, I do sometimes drink champagne out of a wine glass because for all of the reasons that they mentioned in this article. It, and it's that champagne or other sparkling wines is first and foremost a wine. So you want to get both the flavor and the aroma of that wine as much as you possibly can while trying to preserve some of those bubbles. So the argument now, and this is the trend for drinking champagne and other sparkling wines, is that you now drink it out of a regular wine glass. You don't drink it out of a flute. You don't drink it out of a coupe. You drink it out of a wine glass so that you retain some of the bubbles, but you also get the aromas. Um, I'm torn on this one because... I think as a wine professional, it makes sense for other wine professionals and for people who are paying attention to the aroma of the wine to drink it out of a wine glass. But a lot of people who are just casual wine drinkers are not nosing their wines. They're not sniffing their wines. They couldn't care less about the aroma of their wine. They just want to drink it. So in that case, I think the flute is the better receptacle for your wine because it retains those bubbles. And I think when people are drinking bubbly wine, what they want is the bubbles. Celebratory, right? It's it's something yeah. usually Have celebrating toast, special you know. occasion. So you want the bubbles to be showing. You don't care what it smells like, right? The average I mean, drinker. I do, but I think, yeah. I don't think it's, it's, I mean, we, we can, you know, wax poetical for hours and hours and hours about aromas of wines. But a lot of people who are just casual wine drinkers don't even think about smelling their wine. This is kind of one of, you know, things that we get very obsessed with and that maybe we are a little bit out of touch with the everyday wine drinker. So certainly, listener, if you are an everyday wine drinker and you do pay a lot of attention smelling your wine, kudos to you. But I don't expect every wine drinker to be paying that much attention to the aromas. So in that case, I say stick with whatever kind of glass you'd like to drink your bubbles out of one of the good things i thought they mentioned about the glass was say don't chill the glass you know some yes. people every once in a while put a glass in the in the fridge or the freezer ice it up mm-hmm. and they actually put a number saying if you chill a, a champagne glass it actually adds 0.5 percent water 
yeah. to the sparkling wine. Because of the condensation. That then, yeah, yeah. That was an interesting little tip. Yeah. And, you know, you, you kind of get this for other things too. Like you wouldn't want to do this for a regular wine. You wouldn't want to chill down a beer, a beer glass, like put it in a freezer because yeah, it adds extra water. So it dilutes your beverage and it does change the flavor subtly. I think that's a good one, but I don't know how many people store their champagne flutes in the refrigerator. Yeah. I don't know any, you know, beer mugs is very common, but yeah. You know, I don't, I don't see people doing that with their wine glasses, mm-hmm. but it was a good tip. And it the also next- makes sense from the, from the point of view of bubble retention too. So if you have ice on the inside of your glass, it, your champagne is not going to bubble appropriately. And I think even more than the dilution factor, it's, you don't want to lose those bubbles. Like that's the beauty. And a lot of the fun of these wines is those bubbles. So you don't really want to do anything that will make those bubbles disappear too fast. We're talking about bubbles. They also said don't chill the sparkling wine in the freezer mm-hmm. because too cold removes bubbles from the sparkling wines. There's but that's only when storage. that's only when you drink it that cold. So it's not so much that you sh- you can't chill it in the freezer. It's that you shouldn't drink it directly from the freezer. Right now, I've been known to chill my chill my champagne yeah. in the freezer. Right? Put it in there for twenty minutes or whatever. But yeah. they say no, don't you know? That's the problematic. Don't do that. The best thing is to put it in the fridge for three hours or put it in an ice bucket. Yeah, for like an hour. You know, yeah, that's the ice bucket that's thing. The etiquette. Yeah, the ice bucket thing is really good. Like if you have an, you know. It, an ice maker as part of your freezer, or you happen to keep bags of ice in your freezer. This is a great way to chill down white wines or anything really very, very quickly. Fill a bucket or a very large bowl with ice and water, not just ice, and then submerge your bottle in there. Turn it around every once in a while. And it really does chill the bottle down very, very quickly. It's a it's a great method that I think a lot of people don't know about. Let me ask you, Kim, if you ever put a bottle in the freezer and then notice you did kill the bubbles, made it too cold, or had a, a bubbly that was ever too cold that you noticed the change in the bubbles? Um, Yes, but I don't think it's from putting them in the freezer. I actually think sometimes they get too cold by keeping them in that ice bath. So I think it's been at professional tastings where sometimes, you know, the 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 person who's pouring will keep their sparkling wines just in an ice bath for the whole time. And sometimes it just, yeah, it loses the bubbles and it really mutes so the flavors. No bubbles at all? Or does it make no, bigger no, bubbles just, than fire just, Um, Not so much a difference between fine bubbles and big bubbles, but just fewer bubbles. Just not the effervescence that I would expect, See, that's which is the total right opposite the- of drinking your your bubbly wines too warm, because I think we've probably all experienced the thing that happens when you open up a bottle of sparkling whatever, be it Prosecco or Cava or Champagne, and it's not cold enough. And it overflows and you pour it into your glass and it's just everywhere. Uh, Chilling your Prosecco to a really nice, cool temperature. Not only does it taste better, but it's less messy. Well, that's a good lead into the next, what I thought was a safety tip that they gave us was really good. Said, twist the bottle when you open, not the cork. So you hold the cork or block the cork and twist the bottle when you open it to open it. And I think this is one of the best tips to give when you're talking about sparkling wine. Yeah, I think we've all probably run into the situation where a cork has come out of the bottle a little too fast. 
um, and has taken us by surprise. But again, you know, a, a lot of the time that happens when when the wine is still just a little too warm. But you do have to remember that this is a bottle of wine under pressure and take the appropriate safety steps so that nobody gets hurt. Next That's why I like to put a towel over the top, too. Yeah, just because case. if you put a towel over the top. See, I don't consider this us telling people what to do more like tips to have a, a better time and a safer right. time. If you put a towel over the cork when you're opening it, even if it flies out of there before you expect it to, at least it will be contained in the towel. And so you have much less of a chance of hurting somebody or blowing out a light bulb. And next, Kim, they were saying, don't fill the glass all at once, which has to do with pressure and the bubbles. If you notice you pour it, there's a head of foam or bubbles. You want to go nice and slow. Pour a little, let it foam a little, let the foam die, and then pour it again. So... Do you agree with that as far as etiquette, Kim? Well, you, I don't you, just, you don't even use a glass, right? Etiquette, just... <laughs> though. <laughs> hey, now. Hey, I have to share that bottle with other people. No, but I, I feel like that's just sort of um, common you know, sense common because sense. you you waste it. It just all starts over. Yeah. 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 And the next one is more of a suggestion that we generally tell people with wine in general, which is hold your glass by the stem and not by the bowl because the heat of your hand will warm up the wine. So sometimes that's beneficial. If you have a red wine that is too cold, put your hand around the bowl, you know, and warm up the wine just a little bit because that will help. But for something like champagne or or white wine in general, if you are meant to be consuming it on the colder side, you don't want your body heat to be taken away from the heat, the, from the, the chill of the wine. Nothing more to say on that, Kim. Hold it the right way. But any wine glass the same. <laughs> the next tip was one of the things you always suggest, Kim. Use a champagne stopper to preserve. After you taste it a little, you want to keep it fresh buy a champagne stopper. Yeah, these are key. And you can get these at any liquor store. And they're really different than other types of stoppers because they have a a two-sided hinge that will clamp over the lip of the bottle and they will keep the pressure in the bottle and they will keep the bubbles in there so that you can enjoy your bubbles for a couple of days. I like to make champagne cocktails. So I often will have a bottle of bubbly in my refrigerator so that should I be struck by a champagne cocktail whim, I have that bottle open, but I'm not going to drink that entire bottle. Did you yeah, see the big news, good. Kim, that so, the Coravin came out with a champagne gadget now? Oh, I did not see yeah, that. Just That would it. be great because, yes, at, at our wine school, we use yeah, an awful that's lot exactly of sparkling what wines. Yeah, for, for uh restaurants or thank you, know, you for that yeah. little bit of uh intel that's great put it on your christmas list i just might have to yeah. <laughs> but it is nice to have a special kind of stopper for champagne because otherwise you're just going to lose all the bubbles like the flavor is still going to be there but sometimes it's that bubble that you want to add so this is the you next know, great level. to have a couple a, of these in there a stopper that and then you can you know puncture it and get a sample out anytime you mm -hmm. want and retain the pressure so yeah finally wow, did that I think it's just like when they have a special cap for the screw screw top wines. The screw caps, yeah. It's going to be a special stopper that you can somehow puncture or something. Yeah. Well, I can't so. wait to uh, see what that's all about and give it a try. The next bubbly etiquette thing they said, Kim, is do not fluctuate the, the storage temperature of a sparkling wine. Keep but it at is, a consistent temperature. But this you do for common. any wine. Right, which is common tip for all wines. And going with that, they said limit the time stored in the fridge. Mm -hmm. Now, I've always heard if a long-term 
cold storage, like in a fridge, it shrinks the cork eventually, mm-hmm. allows air in, reduces right. the bubbles. So it is all about the refrigeration drying the cork. I think it's two. I think it's twofold. Um, I think it's the dryness of refrigerator air. So it will, like you said, shrink the cork and then air will either air will be let in or those bubbles will be let out. But I think it's also the vibration of a refrigerator. So if you've got your wine in just a regular old refrigerator, as it cycles on and off, it shakes a little bit. And over time, all of that shaking will destroy the bubbles as well. But a designated wine fridge is built differently. So because wine fridges are made specifically for wine, they don't cycle on and off the same way that a regular fridge does. And they're intended to be kept less dry than a regular refrigerator. This is one of those instances where I think proper storage does make sense. If you're putting your you know, bottle of champagne or whatever in the refrigerator for like a week. That's not a problem. We're talking long-term storage here, like yeah. six months, more than a year, anything like that. They also said store it on its side, which, you know, we did a, an article review a few months back where we they did a study and said it doesn't matter anymore about mm-hmm. putting wines in their side. So apparently the I jury's still out on that one, right? Yeah, yeah I remember oh, yeah. talking about that. Yeah. The next tip they were saying for Bob, we can remember to check the labels for the sweetness. Remember the sweetness levels given for sparkling wines. And one of the thing, things I think is most misunderstood in, in bubbly is brute and extra dry. People mm-hmm. don't know that brute is drier than extra dry. Right. So, because it, that doesn't, that terminology doesn't make sense. sense. Right. But it makes sense if you know the entire list. So there, most people don't know that there's that drier level just above brute called extra brute. Yeah. So, and that a sec champagne is actually sort of sweet. So if you, ha- or a technically in, in English, it would be technically a dry champagne. So if you think that extra brute is drier than brute, then extra dry is drier than dry yes yeah, so that's definitely something everybody. lost in the translation between yeah. french and english yeah the other day i just discovered an extra brute prosecco which oh yeah a zonine producer i thought it was just a brute and it was actually an extra, extra brute, brute which huh. i thought was a rarity in the and, and that's say, interesting for prosecco too because yeah. usually you get the extra dry level is far far more common than anything yeah, drier. Extra, so that's very interesting. Extra dry is the most popular yeah. Prosecco sweetness levels. Next, Kim, they said cool. Magnum. Oh, did you have more on that? I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's okay. that's really great to great to know. The next they were saying that Magnum bottles, a 1.5 liter above, I guess, bottles, uh, better for aging because of the surface area, better bottles. Mm-hmm. They age better long term. You... As as it as is for other wines as well. Right. The the larger your bottle bottle, the longer it's going to age and the more gracefully it's going to age. I remember seeing an article about a restaurant in New York City coat that all they serve is 1.5 magnums. Wow. Their wine list is all magnums. I would advise so, people though that for those larger format bottles of champagne, they are a lot harder to open. A lot more just, pressure. Just too. keep oh, that in pressure? mind. Is the no, the pressure is the same. It's the same, right? The pressure is the same, but it's bigger. It's harder to get harder. your arms around it. It's harder to open. 
it's just it's a little bit more yeah. uh, difficult. They say block the cork with your thumb, and the cork's like the size of uh, right. Budweiser can. It's like you, know? you need to have a buddy to help you open it so that they can keep their hands on top of the cork, and you're going to turn the bottle. So yeah, it's a the two person. Look at the bright side. It prevents you from drinking a magnum of bottle of bubbly at night. Because you got to have friends with you to open yeah, it. Yeah, Perfect yeah. for New Year's Eve. And the last uh, bubbly etiquette tip I thought was really good. Don't just drink to celebrate. And you mentioned this a million times, Ken. This bubbly is a great food wine. So don't just hold it back for a special occasion. Try it with food. Especially salty, fatty, and fried foods. Excellent with brie cheese. Excellent with French fries. I was just talking with one of my salespeople, and he was telling me he's on this bubbly kick because this time of year, he just wants something light and refreshing Mm -hmm. to clean his palate when he's having light, summery foods. So, I mean, this this goes right along with that. Yeah. Now, you started the article, Kim, talking about yeast. We just talked about yeast. Is there any etiquette or anything you think about yeast bringing yeast into the article about bubbly i think that's more of like a champagne 102 kind of thing when it comes to yeast so that once people start understanding how different producers taste side by side so like why or how your Moet tastes different from your Veuve Clicquot, tastes different from your Tattinger, tastes different from your Bollinger, then I think yeast can really play a part in the conversation because some champagnes are more yeasty, less yeasty. It is all about the production of champagne and how it's made and how much time that wine actually sits with that yeast. But I will tell our listeners, even though I know I brought it up a number of times, that if you want something that doesn't necessarily have that sort of bread dough, toast kind of flavor to it, then go with Prosecco. Go with some other sparkling wines from other parts of the world that don't necessarily have all that aging time that a lot of champagnes do. Because it's the age that's going to add that yeasty, toasty note to it. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any questions or comments you would have. Every week, you're listening to us on WFPR-FM 102.9 in Franklin. Our past episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.